This episode needs a couple trigger warnings. First of all, we talk about suicide and suicide loss. And we also talk about sexual assault, sexual abuse in children, and abuse of children. Welcome to What the Fuck Just Happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a science skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launch this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder what the fuck just happened? Hi, everyone. Today, I am talking with Dr. Lenore Matthew, and she's also a psychic medium and has a very interesting story and personal aspects to her story that she will be sharing. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here. I know we've been in contact for a while, so I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. So I'm Dr. Lenore Matthew. I'm a doctor of social work. I have specialization in evidence-based practice formation and research. So evidence-based practice, policy, and evaluation is really my technical expertise. And I'm also a evidential psychic medium trained in mediumship. My mediumship opened up about three and a half years ago when my late husband passed away. So today I blend both sides, my my scientific side and my highly data-driven side, which comes from the field of social work, which is you know inherently a human-centered field, with my mediumship to help other people heal through grief, trauma, tragic loss. There's just no words about loss. And I know saying I'm sorry isn't enough. And it's just, it's just shit. So I'll say I'm sorry, but thank you. for, And likewise, thank you so much for saying that. And likewise to you. Thank you. And what I found really interesting about your story is you never thought you had abilities. This started around the loss of your husband. And what's interesting, what you told me is it started before he passed away. However, he wasn't sick or physically sick. You did not know you were going to be losing him. So my my husband passed by what I call unexpected suicide. Uh, so he did, he took his own life. Um, this was in March, 2020. And I say unexpected suicide because there were absolutely no indicators before he crossed that he was suicidal or even that he was suffering. Being a mental health practitioner myself and a social worker, granted I work on a more macro level before the work that I do now, I used to work in international policy. So I was with international non-for-profits and the United Nations. So I did very high level kind of macro away from humans, but on human work. 
But even so, being trained in mental health, we don't even talk about it in the profession of, of social work, what suicide can look like when it's not externalized. And we have this view of what mental health looks like, and it's very, you know, it's crying and it's not being able to get up. And it's, uh, we think of suicidality as like one last straw after expressing, expressing, expressing for so long that we've been in pain. And what I've learned in this world of suicide loss and grief, working now with thousands of people who've lost their loved one to suicide, especially with men, but not only, but especially with men, oftentimes we had no idea that they were in pain. And this was very much the case with, with my husband. So my mediumship, the first time that, that a spirit came to me was my husband. It was the night that he passed. But it was three months before, and I only realized this after he crossed, that my abilities began opening up. So I started having, I started having visions of his funeral. And they weren't just like photograph picture visions. They were very much like, I describe my clairvoyant visions as like, they look like movies, kind of like watercolor movies that have very much a life of their own. I saw that. I saw, I was having, the first experience was this very bizarre kind of like monster that right as I was about to fall asleep would like crawl up on my stomach every night and just look at me. And it terrified me. I'd never had some, anything like this happen before. After my husband crossed, I realized the week that I started having those first visions, it's actually the week that he started, again, three months before he crossed, it was the week that he started writing his suicide letters in private. And he never, again, never indicated, had absolutely no externalization of him being in pain, but he had started writing these letters. And as I read them, I don't read them anymore, but of course I read them billions of times. And it was very much him kind of like trying to talk himself out of the feelings that he was having. And they coincided, my opening awakening started, or began and coincided with, with him really opening up to his own suicidality, or at least putting it on paper for the first time. So, so this proceeded and progressed and I had no idea what to do with it. And so I blocked it out. It terrified me. It scared me. Now I understand there was nothing that was trying to hurt me. It was more because my rational mind was coming into play as I was having these images that juxtaposed against a very happy person, which my husband showed that he was. Granted, towards end of life, he was a bit more nervous. And now looking back, there are things that I understand, understanding suicide and men's mental health now in a way that I did not before. It just, it didn't make sense. The visions and the, the, the experiences that I was having counter to how he expressed his emotions and behaviors. And so I told myself I was nuts and I blocked it out. And then the day that he crossed that night, I was like, oh my God, that was, that was something that was trying to get my attention, not trying to scare me, just trying to so desperately to get my attention. If I could ask you what you think getting these the visions of his funeral, three months in advance. Do you think you were having psychic premonitions? Do you think you were reading his mind? Or do you think another consciousness on the other side, like a loved one, was trying to get your attention? I think it's the latter. Um, I don't, I feel like it was an, an, an energy, whether it was our souls, whether it was our human love, whatever it was, was trying to like shake us. In intervene would be the word we an intervention we use in, in mental health practice right there was almost like shaking us as an intervention from spirit of please wake up and talk and for me i look i i don't look back and wish i had changed things that's part of suicide grief of being able to let that go and so i don't blame myself 
anymore for not acting on the visions, for not taking them seriously, for not trusting them. But how could I with the information I had at that time? There's no way. And there's no way in society, now that I'm in, I I trained for years as a medium, I'm in this world, I understand it. But still, there's a lot of information that needs to be demystified. But at the moment, of course, I blame myself. And it's juxtaposed against a very happy person, a happy marriage. We'd been so happy for 13 years. We had a very peaceful marriage that there was no... There was no reason analytically why. Again, as after he crossed, I unfolded his story and I unfolded this trauma, I mean, traumatic, traumatic past that he had that he totally hid of extreme abuse that he endured as a child. And again, that is not uncommon as I've learned now that especially men will hide that as they get as they become adults. But at the moment that all of this was happening, of course, I wasn't going to understand that I was having these, you know, communications. I don't think that they were predictions. I don't think that they were premonitions because perhaps something could have gone a different way and perhaps it wouldn't have. We'll never know. It happened as it happened, but it's not like I was reading. I don't believe that my husband's fate was to take his life. I don't believe that my fate was to be a widow at 36. That wasn't, you know, that wasn't destiny, but what it was, was some sort of a higher power saying there's something here that is wanting to speak its truth. How it unfolded in my husband's and my path was it really began to speak its truth once he crossed. But looking back as well in the past, over again, we were together for 13 years. And there were many times where I would feel that something was off or I would feel that something was not right. But either my logical mind told me that, you know, I was nuts and imagining it. Or if I did bring it forth to him because of his trauma and his human life, he would tell me like, no, no, you're imagining it. Oh, no, no, no. Like, let's forget about it. You know, we lived across the world as well. We were expats. And so it was very, quote unquote, easy to compartmentalize and just lean into the good stuff in life. Like, you know, our careers, our friends, our love, um, the material things of life. And so it was very easy to push our intuition away, even though it was kind of always gnawing there. It's only been since my mediumship opened up and everything that I knew to be true, both about human life, because the worst thing that could I could even that was even beyond what I could fathom as imaginable happened. So reality was turned on its head. And all of a sudden, I'm talking to spirit people, which completely turned my life on its head as in another way, particularly being someone whose career is couched in evidence. Like my job was to prove that things are real and exist and that they affect human well-being in a certain way. Like that's what I'm doing for a living. And now all of a sudden, the most spectacular, I suppose, thing that you could ever think of is now happening to me. And so everything was brought into question. What was your view on mediumship and afterlife before? Such a good question. Oh, I have goosebumps as, as I feel into that question too. I'm a very physical medium, so I get a lot of like physical manifestations in my body. So, and actually that leads into, into your question. So I was always curious about the afterlife. I was never, you know, I didn't think that it didn't exist. I just had no idea what happens after. I was curious. And now I remember when I was a kid, I would read books on the afterlife for teenagers, that kind of thing, or I would be really attracted to things about the afterlife. I was also very attracted to spiritual things when I was younger, very like nine, seven, eight, nine years old. And I would even kind of like channel stories and write them, but I then channel poems that came from, it felt like it came from somewhere else, but I totally blocked that out and I'd forgotten about it. 
I totally had forgotten about it, completely had forgotten about it. It's only now, several years into mediumship, that I'm starting to remember these incidents. But I never thought about the afterlife, really. I never had a reason to. I had never lost anyone close to me before. I never really had a reason to think about it until I had to, until it was thrust so in my face that I had to. In terms of mediums, I saw my first medium after Bruno had passed, and I was very vocal in the beginning. I went back to my parents' house and was at my family's house for a year in my first year of grief. It was also during the pandemic. The pandemic had just started, so nobody was going anywhere anyway. But my entire grief experience was in lockdown, at least that first year of grief, which that's a whole conversation in itself. But I was very vocal with people that I trusted about what was happening. So Bruno, again, as I said, he came to me for the first time the first night, but it was multiple times a day, especially in the first few months. And then other people from Spirit began coming to me within about a month after he crossed. And so I, being a researcher, I documented everything. I mean, I have files and files and files. Can I back up? I have actually a couple questions that I want to jump in on first. When you said you were a teenager, you channeled poems. What what makes you think it was channeled and not just creativity? Thank you for saying for bringing that up. So I understand now what channeling feels like. And it could be creativity. Why creativity very much is channeling. I think when we're at our most creative, we're giving, we're surrendering all bounds and we're giving ourselves up to an energy that feels aligned and high and right. And creativity comes in different ways for us. But it would almost be like, I remember just kind of feeling someone near me and just letting it happen. And then I would write and then I would look up however long however much time had elapsed, I would look up and I would have like a notebook full and there would be thoughts and insights that a seven-year-old wouldn't really have, reflections on self that are very astute for a child. And I never did anything with them. Like I never thought about it. I guess I always thought that it's kind of a weird kid. I think we all are weird kids anyway, especially those of us that are, you know, surrendering to our paths. But when I say weird, quote unquote, it's because we're oftentimes going against the norms, whatever norms are. But yeah, just a very kind of like aligned, extremely sensitive child. But again, I sort of fell in line as I went. It was about when, around puberty when social norms tell us we have to be a certain way and then career expectations, college jobs, those things tell us, you know, act a certain way, think very linearly, think very left brain analytically. And it, it, it mutes the other side of us unless, unless we allow it to, to breathe. I can identify a lot with what you said. And I have a lot of issues with school and how schools are for children up until college. So I, I think they take away most, they, they take a lot more than they give. At least that was my experience, but that's a whole other topic. So you, it was during the pandemic you yeah. were living at home with your parents, and yeah. the first sign that you got after the precognitions, after Bruno's passing, was Bruno came to you? So he passed around 11 in the morning. So I was in a hotel room around the corner from a, the police station where I had found out the details of his suicide. And I'm crammed with friends of ours in the hotel room. I'm abroad. Bruno and I lived abroad, so we were in Barcelona. The other part is that his entire passing was in my second language. So it's like my brain was just overloaded. So we're in a hotel room crammed with our friends. Obviously, I can't sleep. I'm just in complete shock. And I finally laid down. And it was about, it was about three in the morning. 
And again, with my documentation, I noticed there's a pattern of around the three o'clock hour that he would come to me in that first year. So three o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden the window slams open in the hotel room. It's on kind of like a book hinge sort of window. So it slams open and I just hear dogs in the street going nuts, barking. I have no idea where dogs are coming from on the street. We're in the middle of Barcelona. It's an urban area. And so it catches my attention and I just sit upright and it, it's, it's him. Like it's Bruno, like I, it's the love of my life. Like I know his energy and how I describe it is it feel, it felt like a cyclone, like swirling through me. He's just swirling through me. And I hear the word in Spanish, rabia, which means fury. And I see it's an image that really kind of scared me. And it was like hands, like reaching up, just thousands of hands. I have no idea what afterlife is like. I have no idea where he is. It terrified me. And so I just, and I tell him and I'm saying out loud and my friends are, I mean, it's, the lights are out, but I know that they're awake because I'm speaking out loud. And I tell him in Spanish, I know it's you. I know it's you. I know it's you. I know it's you. And the fury that I feel was him furious with himself. And then all of a sudden it goes blank. And as soon as that, that was very quick, that first image. And then there's another image and all of a sudden I'm at a river. It's purplish brown water. I can smell barbecue. I can smell food around me. I can hear the low thud of music. I see people all around in flip-flops and soccer jerseys. I can feel Bruno, but I know he's not physically there. I can feel the emotions of people around me. I know that there is extreme reverence and extreme sadness. And then I just know that he's showing me a celebration of life. He doesn't want a, he actually doesn't want a funeral. He wants a party essentially for him. And he wants, he wants to, he's telling me he wants to be cremated and his ashes offered to the river. So I know where I am. This is the river in his hometown. I recognize the people around. He's from Argentina. I know exactly where we are. Bruno and I had never talked about death before. We'd never talked about our passing. I assumed we had a good five decades before that was even an issue. And we had never talked about, in my family, we don't cremate, we bury. And so that was a really bizarre kind of insight to have. And so I just had to trust it. And the next day they called from the coroner and they said, you know, what, what will you do? What would you like us to do with your husband? And I said, this is what he showed me. And so that was what was, what was done. And I just trusted it. I knew it. So six weeks later, I saw my first medium after all these different visions are happening. And he's now giving me more and more information that I'm able to actually verify with objective information. For example, he came to me and he said, when I say he comes to me, it's like, I feel like, again, he's just his energy in me. And it's like, we're just talking and we could just hear each other back and forth. And I know that it's him because he'll tell me things that I know would not be my cognitive thoughts. So he said, go to my laptop, find this hidden folder named X, and I want you to read what's there. And I did. And I didn't even know you could hide a folder on a desktop computer. And you didn't know the name of this folder by normal means. You'd never heard of it. He'd never mentioned it. No, no. And that's when I discovered that he had started writing these letters for you know, months before, or he would come to me and say, call X person in his hometown, someone who I'd never even met before. And so I would message them, you know, find them on social media or whatever. And I would message them and they would say, wow, 
thank you for contacting me. I've been thinking about you. There's something I need to tell you, but I didn't want to reach out and bother you. And there were even more poignant things that I was able to identify that related to his abuse and that those were proven to be true, which I won't go into those details. But again, there's, I wouldn't have known unless he had told me this way. And, and that's, that's how that kind of unfolded. So when I saw my first medium, then after all of these things are happening again, it's a traumatic shock. Shocking in A, how he took his life, B, just the context of being abroad and just in the beginning of the pandemic, just immense trauma with that, immense, just unfathomable. I still don't, looking back, I still can't comprehend just how extreme it was. And then also the fact that it was sudden with no identifiers at the outset. Now looking back, I understand so much more. I understand him so much more because I do see the signs that I didn't see in my human life and our experience before. But again, I was telling people about the things that were happening. I was documenting everything, telling my parents, my good friends, our good friends, our good friends as well are having their own experiences and contacting me and just, I mean, all of these different synchronicities with with their experiences and signs from Bruno. And a friend of mine, a mutual friend who's also very analytical like me, and she's like, have you ever thought about seeing a medium? And I was like, well, what is a medium? And I was like, is that a psychic? And now I know the difference. At that point, I had no idea. And she said, yes. And so I put it up to Bruno and I was so critical. And I always laugh that I'm the worst client as a medium. <laughs> I, I am so tight-lipped. I'll give a fake name, which now I know as a medium actually doesn't do anything. You know, I'll come with a list of questions. You sound like me, but this is what Dr. Beichel, Julie Beichel recommends in her experiments. You sit, yes, no, give nothing. Yes, no, maybe in the experiments. That's not necessarily supposed to be in an actual reading, but I act like the same as you. I act like I'm in a science experiment. Yeah. Now I've relaxed it. I also have the mediums that I go to who I trust, you know, who I've trained with or that are colleagues of mine. So, I mean, that's obviously that's not going to fly anymore, but in the beginning and you're so vulnerable, I had no idea. And so I saw my first medium and he's now a very good friend of mine. He's been a mentor to me. He's very, he's just phenomenal. And within a couple of minutes of the reading, not only did he bring Bruno through and of course a few other family members and he knew things, of course, as we always say that nobody could have known. There's no way I was not online. I actually went totally off personal social media for several months after Bruno passed. It was just too overwhelming, but my, I was not out publicly with that, you know, Dr. Lenore Matthew, none of that existed yet. And within a couple of minutes, he brought forth that same vision of the cremation at the river. No way that he could have known that. So two things that did for me, one, it validated for me. And of course it was like another year that I still did not believe that this exists, but he validated for me that, okay, maybe this exists. Maybe this mediumship thing is, is real. And the second thing is he validated for me that what I was having with my experiences with Bruno, in addition to all the objective information that I could verify that I did over the year, but he verified to me that what I had received from Bruno was very subjective, yes, but it was objectively verified in some way by him also receiving that same communication from Bruno. So your first medium reading, and he turned out to be highly accurate. I have a question about this because my very first one was incredible one of the best and apparently a friend knows her and because she's not part of forever family she's not part of Winbridge. i found her kind of coincidentally i go into the whole story of my books so i won't go into it here 
But I found out from a medium who's become one of my close friends that she was the perfect medium for me because she's just evidence, evidence, evidence. She doesn't bring in the emotion, doesn't bring in anything. She's like, I only leave evidence. And there couldn't have been a better approach for me for my first reading. I have also since had lots of readings that were not good. Some I think are genuine hearted, but not evidential. Do you think there's something to it that somehow you ended up with the right one, your very first reading? hundred percent. I asked Bruno to show me the person who I, I just, and again, it's, I just, I laugh at this looking back, this, this juxtaposition of I'm sitting here and I'm telling Bruno, I'm like, this is so stupid. This doesn't exist. This is nuts. He's going to, this medium's just going to take my money. This is crazy. But yet, I'm talking to my dead husband about these things. So it's just like, you know, the juxtaposition of that. I laugh about it because it it made total sense to me at the time. And it makes sense that my rational brain was trying to catch up. And my, my grief was a part of it. I was so embarrassed when I first went to a medium. Like I reached out to two mediums. One just has an astronomical wait list. I'm still on it. And the other was the one I went to. And I was so embarrassed writing both emails. But I'm like, now that I know the mediums, they're like, people write that they're embarrassed. They're like, but we actually are mediums. Why are they embarrassed telling us? But I I was mortified. I thought it was the most embarrassing email I've ever written. I also pictured them as con artists laughing at me. So which is not what happened. But that's what I was picturing. But that makes sense psychologically. We're going against all of these social norms and people as as very you know, data-driven people or, you know, quote unquote, whatever that word even means. Now I know that mediumship is extremely data-driven, but we're going against these social norms that we've internalized. And it's embarrassing as you feel exposed and you're vulnerable and you've lost control over that part of you. Right. You feel dumb. You feel like you're giving money to a Rwandan prince then you have the experiences and you're like, wow, this is, there actually is something to this. Absolutely. And like, this is, I'm jumping ahead and there's a few things I wanted to mention behind that. Well, I'll just let it be guided how it is, but this is the work that I'm doing now, bringing full circle, my background in evidence-based practice and evaluation and mediumship. A huge part of a component of my work now is looking at not just saying it's evidenced informed or evidential mediumship. Yes, if that's the intervention, good. But it's looking at this as an actual way of affecting someone's well-being and grief. I've gotten now from mediumship, and I think we can all say this, those of us who see mediums, I have gotten things, and yes, I've had good readings, bad readings, absolutely. But overall, holistically, I've gotten as much from mediumship, if not more, from other mind body interventions that I've done and they work symbiotically all three of them mind body spirit and so I saw two counselors for the first year a second counselor throughout for another year and they knew everything about both my own openings I was very vocal about it with my counselors as well and like please tell me if you think I'm absolutely losing my mind and they assured me that I was not and that was extremely helpful in counseling and also body work because of the trauma, the somatic work in terms of somatic experiencing, energy, healing, yoga, meditation. But all of these work together and they all enhance each other. As I got a mediumship reading, my body felt healthier. My mind gave got more information. It opened up another layer of my spirituality. It opened me up to my path, my purpose, working in this way of blending science and, and spirit together all at the core of this being both my own healing and how am I going to survive such a horrific, traumatic obliteration of my world 
and showing me that this isn't just me, this is for other people and the people that I work with, it's like their lives are night and day. It will never not be a part of us. I will never not be a widow by suicide loss. And I also get to live a life that has really been opened up by mediumship. And I say hand to heart, I would not be here if it weren't for mediumship. I know that because not only of the confirmation that Bruno is still with me, yes, there's that, but it's also because it has opened up my life and my world and my purpose in ways that you just, you can't get from typical traditional mental health work. I agree about how helpful afterlife evidence for me, mediumship, the science has been astronomically transformative. And you said Bruno has contacted you through EVP, right? Um, just explaining EVP. EVP is electronic voice phenomena. And that is when loved ones on the other side use electronics to communicate. For example, people will leave a recording app open on their phone and might hear some voices. Okay. Oh my gosh. It's happened on readings that I've done with, with clients and with um, with my my community of other widows and suicide loss survivors. It's happened in my own life. And actually, I'll speak to the ones that happened in my own life because I've posted them on my Instagram. So I moved to Honolulu about two. I live in Hawaii um, on Oahu. I moved here a year, just over a year after Bruno passed. And there's a whole episode there of the signs that he sent me to come here and the evidence. So I'll just leave that aside because I also talk about, about it on my Instagram. But there's one video and I'll repost it so it's current. And I'm out on the balcony of my Airbnb. This is the first time really that I've spread my wings since he passed. And keep in mind, I used to work for the UN, so I'm traveling all over the world all the time. Then I he's became basically a recluse. How could you not in that first year of traumatic loss? So I'm on the balcony first morning and I'm an early riser. So I just kind of span the horizon and I say, good morning, Honolulu, you beautiful beast or something like that. And you hear Bruno in his accent go in the name that he would call me, Len, as clear as it could be. And then you hear Later on, it's like an eight-second video, and then you hear a bird. There were no birds. I was on the 20-something floor. A bird fly by and go, ¿Qué pasa? Well, and you have that recorded. Yeah, I put it on my Instagram. Uh, another one was a night. It was the f- second Father's Day after he passed, and I'm still very close to his, um, his formative dad. And Father's Day in Argentina happens to fall on the same Father's Day dates in the States. And so I was writing a letter, like channeling Bruno, he was next to me. And I said, I want to write my dad a letter for Father's Day. So my dad, my parents have been just my anchor in, in grief. They've been so amazing. And in my opening, they believed everything. They gave me space for it. They, I mean, they're just, they're amazing. So I wanted to write my dad a special letter for, for Father's Day. And I wanted to write his dad one too. And so I asked Bruno to come close. And I'm writing this letter. And all of a sudden, the lamp behind me just goes nuts. Like up and down, back and forth. And it only started when I was writing these letters. So I, was, I don't have it on camera, but I do remember saying, tell me that it's you writing these words. And the lamp starts going nuts. And I do have that recorded. There are other ones. I've, I post this, and this is really my early stuff on my Instagram account when these signs would occur, because it's just like, there's no way. And I'm working right now actually on, on my book. And I talk about some of these signs that are just 
I mean, just remarkable, absolutely remarkable. And I know that all of us that lean into this have these stories about just how there, there's just, there's no other way that it could have been that. But the EVP, that was him. I also have a couple EVP recordings. Bruno's dad's wife talked to somebody in her home country in Peru who does EVPs. I didn't know that she was doing this, but she was able to record Bruno's voice on an EVP from another medium. And it's unmistakably him. I sent it to all our friends. and like, oh my God, that's him. And he says, it's always in Spanish, his native language. He said, Len te amo and a couple other things. And it's just, you hear it and it's like, everyone is just like, oh my God, that's him. He has such a distinct voice. Um, so yeah, so I do have those recordings as well. And people, you could, if anyone wants to make one of these recordings, try it. I mean, I've been trying it for forever with my dad. I have not had it, but you can just put a, open the recording app on your iPhone. You don't need any special equipment. Yeah. The video I have is just my video. I had no idea until I watched it back. I was like, wait a second. What? What? And then I listened to videos of Bruno when he was, you know, in the physical or, you know, old WhatsApp messages and the way that he's, it's like, oh my God, yes, that's your voice. (laughs) It's magical. And they happen, I mean, it was just so spontaneous. And that's usually how it happens for me. It's not me going to look for them. They just happen. And so I document them when they do. Okay, so I want to back up. So you went to this first medium and Mm -hmm. he knew things. You shared that he knew the premonitions or whatever you want to call it. Were there other things he knew? Yeah, I mean, there were... Again, I was not on social media with any of my story. It took, it was over, well over a year before anything was out. So he couldn't have known. I also want to say that he's not, you know, a certified medium. I found him, or he's not through a family, forever family. I found him as he was listed by a big international medium who no longer does public readings. So it was that way that I trusted it was credible. But really, again, it was, I asked Bruno, who do you want to talk to? And he led me to this person. Again, being a medium, I can really attest to this, but of course, like he could embody, he embodied his personality and his characteristics and his body language, you know, of how Bruno would like slouch back and be very cool, but very attentive, extremely sensitive. His, his mannerisms, like the, the medium caught that a thousand percent. Things about my own life, I couldn't listen to music for a year, at least, after Bruno had crossed and... And I used to dance and the medium caught onto this. And he said, I know that you used to dance, but you aren't doing that anymore. I was like, well, no, I can barely brush my teeth in the morning. I am not dancing, <laughs> right? Of course not. And, and he knows that he's, he's wonderful with trauma, this medium was. But he's, he's letting me know, he's like, the aspect of you, of that part of you will come back. And it did. And it came back very innately. And I had forgotten that it, of that reading that he named it. What else? He... Uh, knew that Bruno was obsessed with soccer and he knew that he was Latino and he knew that we spoke English and Spanish together. That's part of the reason I think Bruno brought me to this medium. You see, he was also bilingual and also Latino man. And so we had, they had that camaraderie. Bruno trusted him. There are other mediums that I saw that, and again, now being a, a practicing medium, I understand this, like spirit uses our experiences and our database to bring out the aspects that we can really encapture and encapsulate. And this medium was able to do that with the personality and the cultural aspects of Bruno that you just, you wouldn't, I I say the name Bruno in English and it sounds, you know, like kind of like, I don't know, like a big sailor or something. And 
that's not my husband at all. He's it's that's the name that he has. It's very popular in his country. But again, unless you understand the nuances of his culture and his personality, you won't necessarily capture that. And that medium could. There were other aspects of his passing and what happened in his childhood that I did not mention. And I would see mediums. Again, it was usually mediums that were recommended by big international mediums. And they picked up on that as well. And to me, that was just even further validation. I didn't want to see too many. I guess I always just listened to my gut of when I needed to see someone. And for me, it was because my own experience was opening up. I didn't want, even then I had the the understanding that I didn't want any information to taint my understanding. I wanted it from my husband in my own grief, in my own experience. And that's what I would document. And it was almost like when I had all of these insights together and I'd gotten the objective information to validate them, it was almost like I was ready for another reading. And without saying any of it, they would validate what I had understood in the last several months. But you were starting to notice your own abilities growing. What was that experience like? How were you starting to notice it? It was so wild. Like, oh my goodness. So the first time someone else came to me, when I say someone else, I mean another spirit person. It was one month after Bruno had passed. And I just knew them. I actually didn't know them in the physical. I know their loved one here. I didn't know the person that had passed over. And she gave me a very poignant message. And at that point, I had no idea what to do with it. And so I called the person that it was for. And he verified it and validated it. But he was like, I don't believe in this. And he's like, Len, please, like, and it was a lesson for me of you can't just give out information. And that was a hard lesson learned. And we're very good friends still and lesson learned. After that, so one of my closest friends, grandfathers, again, I didn't know him in the physical world, but he came to me so kind, so sweet. And we just talked, he and I, for a half an hour. And he gave me this big download using you know, all the clairs, all the senses, feeling, smell, taste, memories, all of the things. Um, and I wrote them down. And by then I'd learned, this is a couple months after. So really it was Bruno and I for the first bit and then starting to open up, I feel like to, you know, other energies, other guides, but I wasn't quite sure. I was, I was only interested in talking to my husband because I was so in my grief, but also so unraveling his story. So it was a couple months since that my friend's grandfather came to me. So I wrote everything down and I was like, okay, I'm not just going to go give this to someone. It was very personal, obviously information. And so I put it out to spirit and I said, bring her to me if she's supposed to hear this. The next day she DMs me and she's like, Len, I don't want to overstep. She's a very good friend. We trained. She's also a doctor of social work, very left-brained as well. And she said, I don't want to overstep, but I know I follow you as a friend. I know what's happening with you and Bruno. Would you ever be interested in practicing or doing something with me? Meaning, would you give me a reading? And I was like, oh, girl, I'm so glad I have this like 10-page reading that I already did. And I said, listen, your grandfather came to me last week. Would you like it? She's like, yes, 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 let's call. And so we got on the phone. I read her and gave her the, I actually voice recorded it. And then I had my written notes, gave that to her. And then we did a reading as well. And it's happened. Now I've learned how to put boundaries on with spirit, but that was happening pretty frequently. And they would be very long, elaborate messages. And they would come to me usually in meditation, but not always. Once I was driving and a friend's boyfriend's mom came to me and I was, plan- I was planning to meet my family for cocktails on the ocean one day. Like, finally, I'm feeling good in grief. And his mom came to me. And I was like, oh, there will be no cocktails today. Like, this is a full download. And I just told her, I was like, can you come back this evening? And it was just 
tons of information. And again, I told her, I was like, send him to me if you want me to talk to your son. And he reached out within a day, actually. And and we connected that way and we did a reading. So it ended up that way of like spirit kind of just opening up. He's not someone who reached out to you regularly. It wasn't like every three days he'd reach out to you. No, and he actually reached out through a mutual friend. I actually didn't know him. I knew of him. I think we talked before. He knew a friend of mine and he actually asked the friend of mine, a different friend to contact me. So it was really like these kind of like grumblings. Of- so you could give a reading, but he also w- reached out. Like what was his reason for reaching out to you? It was for a reading, but I wasn't calling it readings then. It's more like, could you help me talk to my mom? And I was like, actually, your mom and I just drove a car together. And I know all these things about it. And then, yeah, then we did a reading. It was a very long reading, I remember. That was another boundary I learned. It was like two and a half hours. And now I know that that's, whoa, that's not sustainable. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so he reached out through that. And so part of it is like the human side of it, right? It's not totally coincidental that because he knew from other people, talking about it, that I've been having these experiences. But he, again, he was so skeptical. Even the first few minutes, I was like, why are you here? You don't believe in this. Like, you're kind of rude about it. No, just kidding. But uh, we opened up. And again, it's like, it's just, it's not me. And it's never been my view of mediumship to sit here and prove it. I shift that burden of proof. I just operate from, we're having these conversations. And it happens to be that now I'm open to the fact that I can bring in. And I think to some extent, all of us can, but we can bring in this other energy. And it happens to be somebody that you love very much has crossed over. Hey, everyone. I'm really excited to let you know about the science and spirituality salons I'm now hosting. During these intimate events, a scientifically verified psychic medium will give all of you readings and I will give a talk on the science and evidence that changed my mind about an afterlife. So will also be an amazing opportunity to get to meet some of you in person or virtually and to share more about all the science and data that transformed my worldview and got me through my worst days. These can be hosted in your home, in a nearby cafe with a private room, or they can even be virtual. I've hosted a few already, and they were really special, fascinating, emotional, evidential. So if you're interested in getting a small group together over dinner, brunch, drinks, coffee, to learn more about the science and to get evidential medium readings, send me an email at hello at WTFJustHappened.net and put science and spirituality in the title. You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, (laughs) open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Inspired by David Justice, who died after a nearly two-year battle with glioblastoma, Jet, 
Joyful Experience team was founded by his son, Oliver Justus, and his best friends, River Attard, Leo Gerstein, Jack Gorenstein, and Felix Ward. JET seeks to create joyful experiences for families struggling with brain cancer, a chance to enhance their lives with experiences that are rich in love and will be treasured for all time. We believe, like David did, that life should not be measured in time, but in joyful moments. JET will allow families coping with this painful diagnosis to go to special events and be treated like VIPs. Go to makingheadway.org forward slash JET for a complete list of programs and activities. It's just fascinating that as these people's loved ones came in and the people reached out to you and they aren't like good friends that reach out every three days. No. If anyone has heard another podcast and this is also going my next book, I had an experience like that with my friend Joe Peretta, who's a medium and he got a sign from my dad and asked mm-hmm. my dad, he was like, if this is real, have Liz message me within the next 15 minutes. And I'm sitting there in my mind. This is one of like my best friends. Like you don't really question whether you text your best friend. And I'm sitting there like, oh, I should text Joe this thing. And I'm like arguing with myself. And then I ended up texting him and he's like, holy fuck. And I was like, and I realized after I was like, I was really overthinking it. So it's kind of like my dad was like, text Joe. And I was like, why would I text Joe now? Text Joe. Trust me. Why would I text Joe? You know, but you're not so clear that that's where the urge to text is coming from when you would normally wouldn't even reach out to that person at that moment. Okay, so then you started having all these experiences and you were noticing they were getting verified and you decided to pursue this. How did you decide to pursue it? Classes, mentorship? Yeah. So I went back to my first medium. So by then I'd had four readings. No, I'd had three readings with three different mediums. And this was about 11 months after my husband had crossed over. So I went back to the first medium. So this was my fourth reading. It was, yeah, about 11 months. By then I'd figured out everything that happened with Bruno. I had my why. I knew why. I knew exactly what happened. Of course, I'll never know all the nuances, but I I had my reason, which is like the biggest pain point, I think, of suicide loss, or it can be for many of us, is the why. And we're told, and this is a huge beef I have. I'm going to deviate for one second. A huge beef I have with the mental health community, and I say this as a griever, but also as a mental health practitioner, a huge beef I have is that you'll never get your why for suicide loss. You'll never know to the point of which I actually went to a, a few months after Bruno passed, I went to a big kind of, it was an online convention for suicide loss survivors and the leading talk in this survivor, I don't know, symposium, I guess it was, was letting go of your need to know why. And one of the hires up in this organization, a very you know important organization said suicide loss survivors, I'm, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but This is how it resonated with me. Suicide loss survivors think that they'll get their why. They'll never get it. They need to let it go. And it's going to hamper their healing if they try to figure out why. Okay, take a step back. If we have something gnawing at us, we can tell ourselves all day, every day, don't bother me, don't bother me, don't bother. No, that's going to keep coming up because it's something in your intuitive, emotional body that needs resolution. And 
one mediumship reading isn't a panacea. It's not going to fix everything. It's obviously we can't be fixed. It's not going to fill in the whys, but it's going to give, if it's a credible reading, it's going to give a little bit of insight at least. And for me, leaning into my own mediumship and then also a couple of readings to verify what I already knew, there was never anything, I don't think, in, with regard to Bruno's passing that was shared with me in mediumship readings that was not something I already intuitively knew. Um, but just having somebody else say it and somebody I trusted, that was that level. You can find your why, at least some of it, at least some sort of information, at least some sort of understanding, because our person on the other side is giving their peace. Of course, it's going through your translator. It's going through our, you know, the medium who has their own shades of interpretation. But I very much got information, and that is not something that plagues me anymore. I don't sit here and ruminate three years later of the why, which is not something that every suicide loss survivor can say. That was a deviation, and I forgot the original question. How did you start developing professionally or officially? Thank you. Thank you. So I guess that needed to come out in this forum because this is something that I really want suicide loss survivors to know that empowerment piece, but going into the, the mediumship side myself. So I went back to that same medium and we're feeling in. Okay. So first of all, he says, beautiful reading, verifying everything. I'm ready now. Finally, I have my why I'm ready to really face my grief. Now it's been about, you know, almost a year and a lot of evidence. And he's like, well, looking forward in your career, just so you know, an Ivy league school is going to call you pretty soon. And I had been, I actually didn't. So after my doctorate, I didn't pursue a track in academia. I wanted to go into policy. So I didn't, I still worked with, with academia. I was, you know, an advisor for theses, for student theses. I gave talks a lot in academia, but I had been in horrific grief for a year and the world was on pause for a year in quarantine. And an Ivy League is going to call me like, mm, okay. So I just kind of put that in my back pocket. Did, did it, was there any follow through on that? What happened? Yes. So keep in mind, this is about a year after my husband passed. I'm like totally debilitated professionally. Like I can't even fathom it. About, I want to say a week later, a friend of mine, and now I'm just connecting that had, her grandfather had come to me. So there's that piece as well. Um, But a friend of mine, she's a professor. We trained together in our doctoral studies, came to me and she said, I'm giving a talk at Harvard on men's mental health would you be interested in giving this talk with me? And she's a good friend of Bruno's as well. And so would you speak at Harvard? And so I did. It was, I can't remember. I think it was like over 200 psychiatrists, psychologists. It wasn't on mediumship. I have to say that, but it was on hidden depression among men, which I was not even yet out talking about my mediumship publicly, but I was starting to talk about our experience with the mental health side. And we gave a talk. I gave a talk on my experience with Bruno's hidden trauma to psychologists, psychiatrists, I mean, doctors and residents all from Harvard. And we received personal feedback from the head of the department saying that this was, he received feedback. It was one of the most impactful talks. I mean, the evaluation forms were off the charts and what it was, and I don't say that, you know, in an egotistical way, it was that this was a guided talk and we presented real lived information from a real life experience. And I said in the beginning of the talk, I was like, well, dream big, speaking at Harvard, dream insanely, like I'm talking about the love of my life's passing, never would have ever, no, I would never have dreamed this or wanted this, but it is what it is. I said, I'll probably cry through this, just so you know, also never envisioned speaking at, you know, Harvard School of Psychiatry crying. However, it's a lived experience. I'm a human and every single one of of us in this space are in this profession because we care about other human beings. 
And so it is what it will be. And so this medium told you some information about your abilities or told you that you had abilities, right? And then we move into just so sweetly and so kindly. He says, Lenore, you know you have this. And I was like, what? What do I have? Of course, I'm like waiting for a year for somebody to tell me this deep down because I didn't believe it. He's like, you know, you have some of this. And I'm like, what? And he's like, Lenore, you're a medium. And I go, oh, oh no, thank you. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> but so you didn't want it. Why is that? It was my human side. It's kind of like you said, like, we're embarrassed when we go to a medium. It was that. I was like, oh, no, no, I don't even want to deal with Pandora's box. I'm like, no, thank you. But my whole body just celebrated and released when he said that because it was finally another validation for me and everything, both that it unpacked with my late husband, but myself. And I said, okay, so what do I do with this? And he's like, well, okay, we all get to decide. It's not a linear path. We get to decide, but it's up to you if you want to develop it or not. So sit on that. I was like, okay, well, thank you, sir. Great. So I sat on it. And I put it out to Bruno. And again, being the researcher I am, I read every mediumship book that I could cover to cover. Um, ones from the 90s of, you know, mediums I remember seeing after school on TV. And, and when I read mediumship books in the beginning, part of it was validating, but a huge part of it was very unvalidating for a couple reasons. One is I saw myself in their stories, but it, they were so developed in what they said. That I, I was like, no, there's no way that I have this. I didn't understand that it takes years of development to get to a point where you're doing readings at Evidential. I also told myself that I was imagining this all because every medium who's written a book, at least that I had read at that point, their mediumship opened up to them as children. And so they're seeing apparitions. They knew about it from childhood. And so I was like, there's no way that you're a medium if your husband died. Like that just doesn't, it doesn't work that way because nobody said it. And now I know that the books that I was reading by mediums on mediumship, that was one aspect. Not every medium opens up. And actually one of the studies that, it studies that I'm doing right now is on other people whose mediumship opened up when their loved one crossed over. And there are many of us, I think I have 23 participants and I've just done recruited. Though, thank you for sharing that as well, but recruiting for the study just a few weeks really. And okay, so I put it out to Bruno. So I've been reading books on mediumship, but I would also read anything by people I trusted in the mental health field or in the scientific community about this world. And I know that you can relate to that for sure. So one person I really trusted was Dr. Brian Weiss coming from mental health. Of course, he's many lives, many masters. He's doing past life regression. He's not necessarily the, um, the intuitive himself, but he's documenting this. I think many of us have read his work. So I put it out to Bruno and I said, all right, listen, whatever this is, I'm kind of like, again, a little perturbed, like, oh, I don't know what to do with this and help me, help me, help me, help me. And Bruno was really my guide. And so I said, show me what to do. And I put it out before going to bed. I woke up in the middle of the night that night and in a fervor Googled a combination of words I don't even remember, but I found a place in Boston called Circles of Wisdom, an amazing place. It's a metaphysical shop, but also they have training and development. I list them on my resources page, but they happen to be having a seminar on past life regression that was given by a woman who was trained by Brian Weiss. I signed up for that. I actually did that months later, but as I signed up for it, that led me to other classes on mediumship. It led me to other people. And the first person who I actually did a 
intuitive-ish development class with. I did not go right into mediumship. I think I did more like spiritual work first. I had no idea even where to start. But that first woman, she was also a trained psychologist and a medium. So again, somebody I needed. So it was the path that was given to me as it should be given. So can you tell me one of your most amazing experiences while developing your abilities? What was like a huge, did you have any huge, like what the fuck evidential? Yes. And I so love how you couch that because when it happens, that's exactly my response. I mean, lots from him, but there's one I wanted to share. So it really speaks to both messages from our loved ones on the other side and how they help us unpack our journey, our soul development while we're here. So this happened just actually a few months ago. I was, as I mentioned, I do a lot of, or I talk about a lot on my website. I do a lot of mind, body, spirit healing. That is, it's the mediumship is one side of it, but in grief, trauma, healing, it's really couched in energy work, um, the mental health side, all of this. So I was in an energy healing session online with a friend of mine and now being a trained medium, like I can just go and I do just fall so deep when in Reiki, you know, Kundalini energy, whatever it is, I fall very deep into my mediumship in those moments. So I'm in this energy healing session and Bruno comes to me as a child. And keep in mind, this is almost this is like two and a half years after he passed. Like I've reconciled the why, like I know why he's crossed over. I know that he, what he went through as a child with abuse and horrific trauma. He comes to me as a child and he comes to me with another medium. She's a medium who I actually took a class from her in the physical, um, very well-known medium who's crossed over and they came together and she came in holding his hand. And still, even when I'm in mediumship, I'm still skeptical and I'm like, meh, it's probably not you guys as I'm talking to them. Had you known she'd passed away at that point? Yeah. So she had been crossed over. She had crossed for some time and we didn't know each other personally, um, but I had taken a class with her. And so they came in together and I'm almost feeling like unworthy of this. I'm like, no way. Like, whoa, this is great. I'm imagining it. My imagination is really going wild tonight. And I just knew from them coming close that they were talking about my own path. And I know that this has been a path of part of my soul work here is to work with children who have been sexually abused, who've been abused. I know that's part of my path. I know that's part of the work that Bruno has opened up to me. It was never part of my work before that I did in social work. And actually, I was really adverse to it. Interestingly, two things that I pushed away in my social work training, sexual abuse of kids and grief and death. And I'm like, ah, this is all I do now. Oh, my God. Sometimes our fucking universe. (laughs) Yeah, life certainly takes surprises. I used to work in fashion. Oh, yeah, right. But yet in some way, it's like it's that. Well, yeah, you're there. You're right. That's a whole other other animal. But a in some way who what we did before, there's a reason why it's still a part of us in the way that it is and how it unfolds. But I wasn't ready to do those two areas of work. Then I didn't have the knowledge. Honestly, I didn't have the experience. I would have come at it at a very different angle than my lived experience now. So. But so this medium you're in your meditation. This medium comes with a little boy and you know the little boy's Bruno. Thank you for getting me back on track. Yes. So they come to me and I know that they're talking about how part of my path is working with young children. And I know that they're telling me, they're telling me it's going to expand. And so I'm sitting here asking them, so how do I know? And how do I know this is even you? And she's telling me that you have to be more diligent with your own mediumship development Every day, 9 o'clock a.m., I want you here with me working with your spirit team. I was like, this is so cool, so crazy, like laughing about it. And then again, how do I know that this is you? And she goes, lesson one. 
all of a sudden, I'm in an airplane. I'm at the, again, this is an, 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 a mediumistic experience, a vision of my own working with my team. I'm in the front of the plane and I'm looking back. I can feel that we are ascending. So, you know, that feeling when you're just off the ground, we're at a, like a 45 degree angle going up. People are out of their seats. People are screaming, yelling, but there's panic. I know that it would have been like a split second, but it feels like eternity and I'm terrified. And so I look to her, this medium again in this vision, the medium who's crossed over. And I asked her, I was like, I, I said, get me out of here. And she's like, no, we are training. How do you feel? What do you see? And I said, how do I feel? I feel scared. She's like, can they hurt you? No, I know they can't. Good. Let's go. What do you see? I said, I'm on a plane. Good. What else do you see? That I see the chairs and I notice the fabric and I notice like the flip on the, the headrest on the, the fabric. It's from the 1990s. I'm looking at people's clothes, jeans, but also, you know, other traditional dress. I know I'm in the 90s. Good. What else do you see? What do you feel? I just feel, I know this is nuts, but I know that I'm in an African country and it's a Muslim country. Good. What else do you see? I know that we just had taken off and I see people panic. Good. What else do you know? I was like, I know that this plane is about to crash. Good. What else? I was like, I, I, I just, these are the things that I know uh, crash that I'm just panic, panic. And then she tells me two numbers, 353-3158. And she's calming me down. She's like, just observe, just observe. And she said, what else do you know? And I said, I know that all of these souls are doing soul work on the other side and they're okay. Good. In an instant, we're on the ground. I'm looking at a crash. I know that this plane crashed very soon after going up, I see 15 or 1500. I know that this is also related to the time. We come out of it. She sits down, be here at nine o'clock. And don't forget what I told you about children. I come out of the energy reading. I'm doing this online with a friend. And also interesting, most of my experiences have been with another person who can validate what's happened. I come out of it and I write down the notes. So I know I'm an African country. I know it is a Muslim country. I know that you know, all of the things, the flame, the explosion, 353, 3158, et cetera. And I tell her this, like, that was just crazy. I had the coolest imagination experience. It was wild. It terrified me, but I'm okay. And I know I'm safe. And I know these souls are okay. And as we're still on the Zoom calls, like, you know, I'm just being the researcher I am and being the nosy person I am. I want to Google this and see. Liz, I kid you not. I'm going to say, because we're on WTF, I shit you not. I Google this and I Google everything. 353, 1990s, after, soon after Ascension crash, African country, Muslim country, 1997, Air Somalia flights, Somalia, 96% Muslim country in Africa. Soon after Ascension was a crash because of a failed engine and it was in a 353 flight was the aircraft. I screamed. And of course, there were more than half the people in the flight perished. I threw my phone across the room. I screamed. I, oh my gosh. And my friend who's on the call with me, she brings me down. She's, she also does healing work and her abilities opened up as well after, after um, loss. She's like, Len, just go over the facts. How does it feel? What's your takeaway? And I said, okay, so why did she give me this information? One, to remind me how much power there is in surrendering to the experience. Of course, there's nothing that can harm me. If anything, there was this incredible, incredible takeaway that knowing all of those souls are safe, healed, happy at work, doing their soul work. 
I think that she brought forth this incredible validated or validatable piece from a part of the world that I know nothing about, that I don't do any work in, because I wasn't emotionally invested in it. But again, it was that lesson that she gave me of what do you see? What do you feel? What do you observe? I observe people's clothes. I know what year we're in the 90s. I know the plane looks like this. I know that this is about to happen. I know that there's this number, 353 of the flight that I I can verify. It's one, a validation of an experience that I could take away, but it was also a takeaway from what they very first said of don't forget part of the reason that you're here. Yes, it's with looking at mediumship in an evidential way, but you also have a very human side of this and working, I believe, at a soul level with other kids who have gone through what Bruno went through at that age. And there were so many messages packed into that, so many messages that now I can speak to both for my own work, but in others of spirit and spirits and our guides and our people on the other side are constantly helping us on our path. And sometimes it's the thing that scares us the most, like working with children who've been sexually abused. And that I say it scares me because it just, it did before. And now I embrace it with my full heart, full soul. This is part of why I'm here. Part of it. They're also opening up various sites Like we aren't alone on this path. We aren't alone. And the, the, the tasks, I suppose, or the purposes, the dharma that we've been open to, it's not us alone doing it. We are so supported and we are so guided from multiple different levels. That's an incredible story. Are there any other unbelievable evidential experiences that you've had while you've been developing your abilities? And now they're probably your past the developing stage, although maybe developing is lifelong. But are there any other kind of major what the fucks you've had that you want to share. Yes, I love this so much. I love so much how you couch it or how you frame it rather. Yeah, so yeah, so I moved past, I, I agree with you, we are always developing. I mean, I've only been doing mediumship now for three and a half years. Um, I know that this is part of my path. To be honest, I was probably quote unquote doing mediumship way before as a child and as as a kid, as we dis- as we discussed. But yeah, there have been incredible, incredible moments doing readings, both in practice and also seeing clients. And now how I work is I only work in groups and I only work with other mediums or I only do one-on-ones with regards to research. And that's just how spirit has guided me. And I love that work because it just amplifies the evidence there. And I can go into that if we want, but I'll speak to one experience actually that happened last week or week before last. I was doing a reading. So one of the studies that I'm working on now, when I say the studies I'm working on, they're studies I'm doing on my own, um, like independently commissioned by myself, just with incredible things that have come up and been inspired by my own work. So I'm doing a study with, I think it's 14, I want to say it's my sample size, widows who I've known and have been working with for about a year, each of them. And they've all had a reading with me, at least one. And then we did another one in with regards to the research. And most of them have seen other mediums as well. And I'm really looking at how does mediumship affect widows' grief process. And so this is a widow who I've worked with, oof, I've probably done, I think this was our fourth reading together. And so we know each other very well. That's tends, that tends to be how I work. I kind of have this community of people. We go very deep. I'm not like my job, and I know this is not to be, you know, 
meet tons and tons of people one time for a reading. That's not it. I go very deep with the people that I work with um, in our relationship because we have the shared grief experience. So I met with her. This is our fourth reading. Great reading, lots of evidence, lots of love. Again, we know each other quite well, shared experience. Um, and I always ask in my readings, well, one, I record every reading if the sitter wants it recorded. For me, that has been an immense gift and help as a sitter, having that information to go back to, because we don't absorb it all, but it's also the evidence piece, but it's also, it's a gift that keeps giving, the energy is still there. So I always offer to the sitter, it's for them, but do you want this? So again, another evidential piece. So we're recording, we're on, and I always ask at the end, do you have any final questions? And she asked me, she said, yes. So I have a sign, I think, that I've been getting from my husband, but it's really weird. And I just want to know, was it him or is it something else? said, okay, let's feel into it. And as she's talking, I am, when I do mediumship, like I kind of angle my body 45 degrees and I look out. That's how spirit has me read. I'm just, I'm out, I'm in spirit, listening to her human, but really connected there. And she's like, okay, this has happened twice. I've woken up in the middle of the night and there is a puddle, pretty big puddle of freezing cold ice water. Once it happened on my bed, once it was in the middle of the hallway, she said, there's nothing. It wasn't, you know, another substance. It was water. There's no leak. There's no, there's no reason why there would be freezing cold water. Was this him? So uh, very rarely, at least for me, will spirit, if somebody asks me a direct, direct yes or no question, spirit's not going to say like, yes, no. It's like, you know, you'll get a reading. Should I break up with my boyfriend? Like, it's not going to be like, yes, no, unless there's like a danger, but it still is unpacked. How it happens for me is spirit gives like a roundabout slew of clues and evidence so that you make your own deduction. So first thing, as she asks this, he comes into my body, her, her husband, again, I'm a very physical medium. He comes into my body and he like opens up my chest and he gives this bellowing laugh of like Santa Claus. I, I don't laugh like that. Like, and I don't know anybody who laughs like that. So the first thing was that, and she's like, whoa, that's his laugh. And I was like, I think it was. Okay. So first he's giving his laugh. Second, he's in my body and he's just allowing me to feel his stance. And I described the stance to her. Yes, that's very much his stance. Then I'm feeling into the puddle. So it's like, okay, we could take that. That's pretty cool. He showed some of his personality and his characteristics. Didn't really answer our question here, but that's fine. So I'm feeling into it. And again, I know the spirit person well because we've worked together several times and he's a doll. He's just such a sweetheart. And I'm like, come closer. Let's talk about this because you're laughing. And I know you're playing jokes. He plays jokes on her all the time, which she verified happened in the physical and on the other side. And he feels directly into the puddle. And we're moving to the puddle. I was like, oh, hold on to her. I said, I was like, there's something specific of why he's leaving you a puddle. I knew she had a daughter, but we hadn't yet talked about her son, who's now an adult. An adult son. Like, you have an adult son, correct? Yes, I do. Okay, so he's actually bringing forth this specific with a puddle. He's bringing forth a specific memory with your son. He's showing me that he's this. there's one of you, and I'm led to the son's body, is standing on a ground that's an uneven surface. It's a rainy day. He's playing in puddles. Now I zoom out, zooming out, meaning her husband zooms me out from spirit, and I'm looking at the kid. I know he's a toddler. He's around two, three years old. I see him playing in the puddles. I see him in a yellow, cute little yellow jacket, and he's got a little hood or hat on. Just the sweetest thing. Oh, my goodness. And then her husband is showing me 
Paddington Bear. Pat, you won't give it up. Paddington Bear. So I'm verifying all of this to my client and you know, my research participant. Yes, okay. Yes, I think this is all here. Okay, okay. I guess I can kind of take this. I definitely have a son. Yes, we grew up or he would grow up with playing in some puddles. It's like Paddington Bear. It's like, hold on. So this is on Zoom. I was like, your husband's having me Google something very specific. It's not necessarily. She's like, I can't take this Paddington Bear. Husband has me Google Paddington Bear, shows me the picture, very specific of a very specific yellow raincoat, very specific hat. And then he has me toggle back to her on Zoom. And I was like, this is what he's showing. He's of the age that he could be playing with Paddington Bear, but he's dressed exactly like this. And there is a photograph of him playing in the puddles, dressed exactly like that, looking at you. There's a photograph, there's a photograph. And she's sitting there and all of a sudden her face goes, <gasps> she's like, yes. I have the photograph. He's my son. It was a day. It was the three of us, her husband, son, and her. Son is playing in the puddles, dressed in the cap, the yellow raincoat. It was a beautiful day, she remembered. She's like, I have that picture somewhere. I have it. We close the reading, say our love. You know, we, I know I'll see her again. She emails me very soon, within an hour, and she's like, I knew that this picture exists. I couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. Then all of a sudden, I turned around, I looked at my fridge, and it was there. She's like, I must have had it there for a while. Who knows what she's like. I'd forgotten about her. Her son is, you know, a grown-up now. She's like... And you've never seen her fridge on a Zoom? Like, you never would have unconsciously seen it or processed it? Nope. No, she does her readings in her bedroom. I've never been to her house. I'm in Hawaii. She's, you know, on the mainland. No, 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 none of this. I didn't even know that she had a son until her husband brought it up. So there was a mixed message in there, mixed in, in terms of like conglomerate. It's a shout out to son. It's a shout out to that beautiful memory. It's a shout out to the evidence. It's a shout out to, I'm still playing tricks on you, bringing puddles into your home when you're sleeping and I'm laughing about it. It was so complex. And, and you know, that took a few minutes to tell the story. And it took about, I don't know, maybe eight minutes for that whole, maybe less. I don't know. I don't remember. Again, it's on the recording, but for that all to unfold. But there were so many messages in that. And the last piece is it's in a photograph. It's absolutely in a photograph. And that will just seal the deal on everything. And that seals the deal on your original question, is that him, yes or no? And so he unpacked all or unfolded all of that through his memory, he meaning husband and spirit, for her to ha draw her own conclusions based on all of this evidence. I, I got chills. I love that story. Because you are developed enough that you said, okay, Paddington Bear, wait, he's telling me to Google, now here's this image. I think this also helps explain why sometimes good mediums will get some information that's not verified or not claimed. You might have just been like Paddington Bear. I'm just getting Paddington Bear. If you hadn't developed further, or probably all mediums, even super developed ones, might at that moment not get further information. I think that could be an example because no one really knows why mediums get wrong information when, let's say, they're very evidential and we'll get 80% right. Where does that 20% wrong come from? Beautiful. Can I just add to that? And I so agree. So my view on mediumship, again, it's like, I guess... It's a, it's a weird trisectional intersection with me as a medium. So yes, I have this ability, but again, my path is not to be you know, on a big dem stage all the time giving one reading evidence, evidence, and then I'll never see you again. Because I work so intimately with my community of grievers and we trust each other, we get messages back and forth, whether there are other mediums in my community or just people, not just people, other grievers who are realizing like, oh my gosh, this world is real. 
our people begin to communicate and send us messages. And then I have the research side where I think there's a trust and a credibility, but also an inherent skepticism, which is also then it lends itself to trust and credibility because I continue to have that skepticism healthily so. So I feel like my way of doing mediumship is like, it's not to go wide, it's to go, as I said, very deep. And I've noticed as I go very deep, it's so cool, Liz, it's so cool. When I meet with people multiple times, not only do I see them healing and me healing, like we're healing. When I say healing, it means like we're more capable, we're more open to life. We are, you know, not having thoughts all the time if I don't want to be here. This is what I say of healing. Their people in spirit are healing. And I gauge this by they're more communicative. They're talking about ways in which they're growing on the other side. And they give a piece of evidence to human life here to their sitter to verify that. They're happier. Their vibration is higher. They're joyful. I have goosebumps all over. They're light. And the more I do, I work with my you know clients and also colleagues and friends, we get to know their people on the other side, not as a spirit person dropping evidence, but as the human that they are. And so we make jokes together. Like it's when their person from spirit comes in, it's also a friend now. And so they're also somebody that I know and that I love and that I trust. And they know, you know, my people on the other side in some way. And I know that because I can verify that from other evidence that's coming in if we want to talk about that. But anyway, it's, it's this beautiful depth to which it's like you bring a friend to a party and then you guys like each other. And so you all start hanging out. And that's really what this way of doing mediumship is. And so sorry to kind of circumvent, but go all the way back then to why certain why mediums might not, and I know that there's definitely been pieces that can't be placed. Absolutely, that's an inevitable part of mediumship because we're translating a language and doing it to the best of our ability using our database. But it's also like they're humans still on the other side. And so they're doing the best that they can to understand, A, how to communicate, but making sense of it. So I'll give a very quick, short way of talking about that, if I may. So I've done readings. I did a reading. Obviously, I do a lot of reading around suicide loss and a lot around mediumship, or I'm sorry, around uh, widowhood. But I was doing a reading with someone who lost their person very traumatically and alcoholism was involved. He never talked about being an alcoholic in the physical. He never wanted to discuss it. It was something that was very hidden. As we're going through the reading, he's showing me, he keeps bringing me to a certain part of the home and he's got his back to me and he's like fidgeting. As a medium looking at this, as a medium, not as the friend and griever, but as a medium, I understood as, oh, he's in this place and his house and he's alone. It's like, he likes to go there alone and he's fidgeting, he's trinketing. This is like his reprieve. He's having a lot of fun there. He's like, he's woodworking or doing something like that. She's like, oh, I don't know that I could take that. I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll leave that there. He kept showing it, kept showing it, kept showing it. By the end of the reading, he puts a glass of dark liquor in front of my face. I don't drink liquor. He puts a dark liquor in front of my face, has me smell it. And all of a sudden I know that I'm intoxicated. And I was like, okay, he's bringing forth, would you understand that there were issues with him and his alcohol in the physical? Yes, yes. That yes unfolded. He brought me back to where he was in that part of the house. And I won't name it because, you know, just for anonymity of the person. That's where he used to go to hide his alcohol. He wasn't fidgeting having fun, which is what he let me see as a medium. He was actually with his back to me, so I wouldn't see what he was doing. He was putting his bottles somewhere hidden. So as we unfolded this, goosebumps all over as I say that, we unfolded it. The depth really unfolded because he was comfortable then. And again, I've read the, for this, these people multiple times, so we know each other. He was comfortable enough 
almost with, I want to say, even though it's in alcoholism, it's not admission, but it felt like to him an admission. He admitted that, yes, I had this problem and yes, I, 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 I hit it. So there's evidence both in how he presented it. I misinterpreted it in the beginning, but then there's a trust and a friendship, really a camaraderie, both between my sitter and I, because we know each other and between him because he and I now know each other. This is really one of the times, few times in a reading, in a mediumship reading, not just with me, with others, that he was comfortable talking about this. So again, it's him as a human intelligent being, how comfortable is he unpacking what he's giving? That does, again, help clarify why do mediums not get all information right, which we don't have a factual 100% answer, but I think this gives a lot of insight. You also said you tested your abilities. Is there a way that we haven't talked about that you've done that? I think just, I, I mean, part of it, the testing is, I, I think, a tongue-in-cheek way that that I refer to keeping my documentation. Are things really sticking? But it really is kind of a blanket statement for I'm still healthily skeptical. I trust a lot more. I trust myself. I trust other mediums. I trust my gut in my life. Like if something or someone doesn't feel right, I address that in ways that I never would have before. But I think the testing comes from surrendering my preconceived biases and allowing my mental mind to be used by my intuitive self to let me know if something feels right or not. And you've certainly shared how you've gotten the verification. So when it feels right, you've also had the verification. So you're not just saying it feels right. So now along with mediumship, you're also working on some studies. I know we touched upon them briefly, but are there any studies you really want to talk about that you're working on? Yeah. So there are two that I'm working on. I, I think I'd mentioned them before, but if not, um, so there are two that I'm working on. One is working with my widow clients who I've known, and now they're, they're research participants, and many of them are very good friends. And I say that in a way that you would be good friends with a colleague. It's like we just have this shared, incredible understanding of experience, but in a reading, it's obviously very, very you know, professional and such. But I'm working, I will wrap up in March 2023, beginning of April, the data collection for this. So it's an ongoing both questionnaire and in-depth interviews on how mediumship has affected people who have lost their partner. We all happen to be women who are participating, but those of us who have lost our partner, how has it affected our mental health, our grieving process, our spirituality, in some cases, our physical health, with the idea that we're really taking away, again, being a mental health practitioner, first and foremost, well, maybe, depending on the day, the hat that I wear, but um, being a doctor of social work, I want to put forth in a very evidence-based way put forth how mediumship is a credible, incredibly impactful, potentially transformational intervention for someone who is going through grief and loss. Um, and so that is the takeaway. And so we're looking at, you know, how did this affect your mental health over time? What insights have you had? How has your life been you know, affected by this different? Most of my participants never saw a medium before. Most were highly skeptical. Some had, like me, scientific biases. Some had religious biases based on their upbringing. And I, the biggest takeaway from this is without mediumship, there's a high probability that, well, I don't know if we'd be functioning adults, and we definitely wouldn't be happy, but many of us, with the degree of trauma to which our, our, our loss put upon us, many of us don't think that we would be here. We wouldn't have survived this. Yeah, grief is loss, just shatters you. I, mean, I think most grievers can understand that feeling. I've certainly had days like that. 
Absolutely. And the second study that I've just launched, so both have, both are qualitative, both have a kind of introductory questionnaire, which helps make sure that people meet the inclusion criteria, um, but also gives kind of a, a basic understanding of, of their experience. And then I go into in-depth interviews. With the first study on widows, that also includes a mediumship reading. Because I've done readings with them before, I wanted to capture not only longitudinally effects over time of seeing mediums, but I also, we did a reading then as well. So there was readings, questionnaire, then time it elapsed, and then reading, and then an interview directly after that last reading. And that was both to capture, again, a longitudinal component, but also to capture the physiological effects of a mediumship reading. Like we get that natural high and we're feeling good. And, you know, how does it feel in that moment of working spiritually and intuitively? The second study then is, it doesn't have a reading, a reading component, but it will have, I know it will have a practical piece later on. So all of my research, the the point of this is to put forth evidence that's going to affect practice, affect possibly policy, but also put together information that informs programs to help people going through this. And so that is, again, as a researcher practitioner, that's a part of it. So the second study is I'm working with other people whose mediumship awoke after a loved one passed away. And the point of this study, and that's the one that, that you have shared, but the point of this study is one, to normalize this, know you're not crazy, know you haven't imagined it, no, you're not wrong. No, this isn't just grief. Yes, this is real. Yes, other people are experiencing it. And yes, it has incredible meaning and potential impact, both on your grief, but also on life after and how the loss packs, unpacks and, and you know, unfolds in your life. So that study is just kicking off uh, in April 2023. And when you have all the results, I'd love for you to share them. You said that you've really made sure to keep your relationship with Bruno going and that a lot of the people that you know who've lost their partner, they're keeping the relationship going. And talk a little about that. I think most of us want to keep doing that. Yeah. So it's absolutely shifted in many ways. Of course it has. It's been just over three years that he crossed. We worked very closely together the first year in his healing, the first, the second year and a half, probably in my healing. He's been a guide. And so I connect to him in both mediumship readings with other people, with mediums bringing him through, but really it's through meditation, sometimes in dreams, but it's really in meditation and in energy healing is when I feel him most. Our relationship is ongoing and I talk about him all the time. So that's a human way of it, but it's also, it evolves and it expands and we're very much co-creators and I love him so much and I always will. But when I say it's shifted, this has really been very recent and this is a very kind of tender moment and perhaps other people who've lost their partner can understand this. It's this, it's this pain of we are forever us and it's also shifting um, sorry, I'm getting a bit oh, about it. Um, and it's only been, oh, sorry, <laughs> um, not sorry, <laughs> but it's only been, it's really only been since the three-year mark, and I would not have imagined saying this at the two-year mark, that I've told him I'm okay with releasing you. I'm okay with being open to what will come in my life as a woman, as a human, and way too early on in my grief, he would come to me in meditation and he would 
I don't have children. He and I never got to have children together. And he would place the baby in my arms. And I just knew that this is a child that I will have someday. And while part of me was hopeful and that was a lifeline, a big part of me was like, I can't even fathom that without you. And it's only been the three-year mark. And I say that, yes and no, time means everything and nothing in grief. But also around the three-year mark, there were things that happened in my life that serendipitously fell on that weekend. I went to a huge breathwork ceremony and released so much from, and I've been doing breathwork a lot. That's part of my, my healing. I also started a yoga teacher, yoga teacher training. And I know that part of my offerings going forward in the grief community are very much bringing the body in. It's like, I'm ready to do things for myself. And he actually, and that was me choosing. And I think some people, what really terrified me in the beginning, and I hear this a lot from mediums is one, they're always with you. Okay. Yes. But have, have, have you lost somebody that is a part of you? They're with you and they're not. They're with you and they're not. And we have to say that. And we have to be able to say that as, as in the mediumship community because it can be very demoralizing to somebody who's in grief, who hears, they're always with you. Like, yes, I know Bruno's always with me. And there were times when he wasn't, I couldn't feel him. Or maybe he wasn't, I was just so grief stricken or so in my human, I couldn't. And there were moments where it's like, that doesn't matter. His energy can be near me, but I want him physically. He's my husband. So that's one caveat. The other is I've heard from both the, especially from the grief community on this one of you've got to move forward or you've got to let them go. Or in the mediumship community, them saying, mediums saying they will decide me, your person on the other side will decide when, you know, when the relationship, they've got to move forward to do their thing on the other side. It was me, my, my agency as Lenore, as the grieving woman, as a widow who said, to my husband in meditation after my breath work and all these things that happened a few weeks ago, it was my soul. It wasn't even me, my analytical mind. It was my soul that met his soul and said, I'm ready. I'm ready to release some of us. I'm re ready to release you. Not saying that Bruno will never be a part of me. On the contrary, he's, I mean, we're partners in this through and through, and I know we will be until I cross over and then it'll be another partnership. But it was the human aspect of our bond. After three years, I was ready to say, I'm open to what may come to me in my human life, be it another relationship, children of my own, whatever that will be. But it was my soul and my agency that got to decide that. It was not forced upon me by Bruno saying, I'm no longer here. It was not because a medium or a grief counselor said, you've got to move forward. It was something that came to me and it was three years and it will still, I'm sure, come back in some ways going forward. But I guess going all the way back to the question is, how do I keep him alive? It's I still connect to him mostly in meditation. And I let our souls talk. And that has brought me the most compelling and most effective guidance forward in that it hasn't been let go, don't let go, whatever, regardless of what people are telling me, it's like, what does my soul feel? If my soul feels I'm still married to my husband, my soul feels that. If my soul feels I'm ready for what may come, then that's, that's my truth as well. And so leaning into our relationship with our loved one on the other side is that I feel like it's in some way allowing our souls to be together, whether it's an energy healing, whether it's seeing other mediums, whatever it is, and allowing our souls to decide that intuitive knowing from the heart and that's what gets to guide us forward, not what anyone else tells us. I think I love that. And there are so many people who want to tell you how 
you should be, let go, don't let go. It's such an individual, such an individual process of grief. And there is no right way. There is no wrong way. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to share that my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciencey Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife is available now for sale. If you go to wtfjusthappened.net, you can see the link to buy it. I'll also have the link in the podcast show notes. I know many of you want to know how exactly did I come to change my mind about the afterlife? Well, this book is all about the first stages of my exploration into this afterlife evidence to where I'm at today. It starts with the awful part of when I lost my dad, how as a science-minded atheist, I first began to explore if there was any possibility of an afterlife and what and who I found most compelling. I also share some stuff that was not so compelling, such as a very clearly fake psychic medium reading and a pretty ridiculous seance, but that's balanced by some amazing peer-reviewed studies on mediums, medium readings, parapsychologists, and just a whole bunch of what the fucks, including some really inexplicable personal things that happened to me, and some really incredible signs I got from my dad. Despite the topic, it's actually funny, mainly because I'm just like such an awkward person. And you also get to learn about all the amazing people and incredible characters I met along the way, as well as more about the research that helped change my mind. And some of the people you learn about have become some of my really good friends and mentors today. So go to wtfjusthappened.net and order it. If you've already read it, please rate and review on Amazon. I cannot tell you how helpful that is. And share with any friends who might be interested. Thank you all. I'm so excited to finally share the full details of this crazy exploration with all of you. And now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. Allison asks, what do I think of the Akashic Records? Um, this is a hard one to answer. I really don't know much about it. It's a little more theoretical and spiritual than scientific. And there isn't a way to really do data and research on it. So this is the best I can answer. If anyone doesn't know what the Akashic records are, it's essentially a cloud of data of every single person, all of the lives we've lived, given that, you know, we do live multiple lives, all of our thoughts, and apparently I believe future lives and our purposes for our lives are all stored in them. Essentially, it's like a huge cloud bank. So the aspect of this that I think makes sense is everything we do here really is recorded in light rays. So if we were to travel at the speed of light, which we physically are not at this point able to do, we would see, kind of stay seeing everything that's happening at one specific moment. And it would look as if time was standing still. 
So for example, let's say I pick up my dog Pickles and I'm scratching his belly. And at that exact moment or each moment I'm doing this, the information is traveling in light rays. As for example, when you see the sun, it's traveling to our planet and we are seeing the sun from seven minutes ago because that is how long it takes the rays from the sun to reach our eyes here. And information, visual information is sent through light rays. And I believe in the Akashic records, they also think there's thought rays and those are also stored in the Akashic record. Now, if we were to travel faster than the speed of light, which it seems like according to physics is completely impossible, let's say we found out a way to do it, we would start seeing information that is going out in the light rays from the past because we'd be going faster than that. And to me, this is some form of way something similar to the Akashic records could work. That is everything that has happened is stored in light rays. Now, what's the limit on this? You know, this probably would only be for this universe. This would have only started at this planet that connects with this sun and would have started at the start of the Big Bang. But there's a lot to think about here. What if there are thought waves, the way information is carried in light rays, the way visual information, maybe there is, and we just haven't really discovered it yet. There seems to be a lot of data on telepathy and experiments on telepathy that does seem to show there are some forms of thought rays. Now, there's light waves that are going on from multiple stars. This star happens to be our sun. I assume there are multiple galaxies. So I would guess the storage of information is much more complex than we experience it in our planet, in our one solar system. Also, we have recently, for example, gotten back photos of as deep into space as we ever had. And because of, as I explained, when we look into the sun, we're seeing, I think it's seven minutes ago, I forget the exact amount. And when we see those stars and areas into deep space, we're seeing it from, I believe it's like billion years ago, because it's so far. So there's some way this information is all stored. And could that tie into a bank that incorporates aspects of the future and previous lives. And it's something that some people can access. Maybe. I don't see why that's not a possibility to consider given that past lives seem to be true. And there seems to be some way we can see into aspects of the future. And I think we do already know and can say that masses of information is already stored within the universe. So I think it's worth considering. If you have a question you want me to answer, send it to hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. 
and feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. Approximately 185,000 murder cases went unsolved from 1980 to 2019. On average, 66% of homicides are solved each year. So what about the other 34%? Alarmingly, the number of murder cases that went unsolved by police hit a new high in 2020, resulting in only 50% of cases being solved, leaving far too many families with no answers, no resolution, no closure. That's why we investigate and report on unsolved cases, to spread the word in hopes of helping families who are searching for answers. We don't sleep, we're just actively looking for her. These girls were alive, they were living, breathing people. They weren't a picture in the media. There was a, a body found in a truck recently. None of us know anything about that body. Who, who was it? What happened? What could have happened? Who could have been involved? There's no answer. And, and it's just horrible. A true crime series investigating mysterious unsolved cases. Real people, real stories, real crimes. Tune into Speaking of Crime with your hosts, Gia and John. Available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. We are at Speaking of Crime on Instagram and Facebook and at Crime Speaking on Twitter. you for putting this out there and I told you like I love your book obviously I love your content it's so refresh your voice is just so refreshing it's so refreshing and also you coming from the side of someone who's lived through immense grief it's like it's just it's it's a conversation having lived through grief and speaking to the mediumship world is a very different animal than you know, speaking about death and speaking about it from having the ability to connect and going through proximate loss is just so it just uproots everything. And so thank you for bringing that in. But also thank you for bringing in some levity because we don't get that in the, the grief space or sometimes in the mediumship space as well. Um, I just, I, I love what you're putting forth there. The spiritual and the scientific go hand in hand. They absolutely do. And when I hear people that say they're too scientific to believe in mediumship, like, well, what is science? It's inherently questions. It's inherently questioning. It's not ascribing to a doctrine. It's quite the opposite. And so your work really lends itself to that. So I just applaud you and thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And yeah, it's at the end of the day, it's data and consciousness is science and whatever form it takes, that science. So it doesn't have to be religion, spiritual. It just, this stuff is happening. There's a, I'll just leave my Adada quote two quotes that I love, one by Dr. Ian Stevenson, who researched scientifically cases of kids with past life memories, not saying it's true, I'm just saying it happened. Or Lloyd Arbach, a parapsychologist, one of my favorite teachers, quoted one of his mentors, Martin Caden, it shouldn't be happening, but it is. <laughs> and I love both those quotes, and they definitely would help me process what I'm actually experiencing. So thank you. I absolutely love, love, love what you're doing. I love how evidential you are. I love that you bring a component of your own grief 
your obsession with evidence and data the same way I do and verification. And now where can all of our listeners find you? Yes, so you can find me at drlenormatthew.com or on Facebook and Instagram at the same at drlenormatthew. I have resources there for those of you who are developing mediumistically um, for grievers. My resource page I'm always adding to. Uh, Likewise, if you'd like me to add your resource, please do reach out. Yeah, and you can find offerings there. I work in the grief space, obviously. I do um, group mediumship readings as well with other colleagues, and particularly colleagues of mine who are mediums and licensed mental health professionals too. So we really meld those two worlds in the grief work. To get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to wtfjusthappened.net. There you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife. And you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore, or email me at hello at WTF just happened.net. And remember, you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened. Bye.